I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Latitudes In Session Podcast. Today I'm joined by Cody Schleich. He is a guy from Ohio that's hunted the public land hills his entire life. And he's a guy that I really look up to. He puts a ton of miles in every year. He finds a bunch of giant deer and always seems to get multiple opportunities per year. So Cody, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, Jake, thanks for inviting me on here. I'm excited to get out and do some scouting with you today and learn some new things. You know, I'm really grateful and humbled that you uh, asked me to come on your podcast and uh, talk deer with you. I'm glad you came on, man. And I think that you have a ton to offer. You are very detailed, very analytical, and you just put a ton of work in. And I really look up to you in the deer woods. So I, I think that you absolutely deserve to be on the show. And I think that everybody listening to this is going to find a bunch of good information that they can put into their own system and try out. And it's going to help people become better hunters. So really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, today we're going to go out after this podcast. And we're going to scout and we're scouting an area that I've hunted in the past. I've ran cameras in here for four years and I've always just been a little bit off. And just seeing your style and talking to you, I think that you have a lot to offer in this area. And so I'm really excited to pick your brain today. Let's get right into the show, man. So, you know, we, you and I have been talking for four years on and off, and this summer really kind of sparked it. I, I was in an area that was very remote, and I was over two miles from the road, and I found this system on a map that looked great. It was a beautiful hub, north-facing for a south wind, had a lot of diversity. It had a bunch of clear cuts, had the right food sources nearby. It had everything going for it. And I walked way in there that day. I put a bunch of cameras out and I put one camera out specifically that was like, I thought was going to be one of my top cameras in this area. It was very close to bedding, like sub 80 yards from two different beds. And then it dumped down into a bottom and it went up into some oaks. I was really excited about it. And I remember hanging that camera and thinking like, this is it. I found something really good here. And I don't know how many people have ever actually been back in here because it's very, very remote and it's rugged terrain. And sure enough, three weeks go by and you and I had been talking a little bit about scouting, but you sent me a picture of that camera and I just, I couldn't believe that you had picked out the exact same area and scouted it and ended up at the same scrape. I mean, you, you actually put your camera up and then turned around and you're like, there's a camera right there. Yeah. Um, it was kind of funny. I think the main reason I found that scrape is because maybe you opened it up 
it, it so was possible. It was, yeah. So I could, I looked down the hill and it was real visible, but yeah, it was pretty funny. I uh, got my camera hung in position there on that scrape and put my pack back on and started to walk out and I glanced over to my left and, and there's a camera there, maybe a foot high in a tree right in front of that scrape. So you got me. And, uh, I went over and looked at it and I'm like, man, this, this, this looks like a Jake Bush setup right here. So <laughs> I sent you that picture and you're like, man, that's a killer spot, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it is. And, uh, I told you, you know, I already hung my camera, so I was just going to leave it there. And it was kind of, kind of cool. You know, you, um, uh, you're like, you know, it's going to be a, be a, a pleasure to share the woods with you. And, um, I feel like we, we really developed a respect for each other and, you know, had our boundaries with each other and we're very, very respectful of each other. And, and we shared a lot of information throughout the season and, uh, chased a, you know, a couple good bucks in there, but, uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool. It was, it was very yeah. cool. And it was, I really respected the fact that we both had boundaries set in place for each other without asking. Right. You know, like you got on a good deer and I was like, you go kill that deer, man. And like we, it even got to the point where we would get pictures of the deer that we were after, like sending them back and forth. And I, I think that you helped me really kind of close down on a couple bucks in there, especially late season. You know, you offered, you're like, Hey, you know, I know that this isn't the best year. I'm tagged out. Here's a picture of a buck and this is where he was at at one point. Here's a good starting point. And that was really cool, man. Just to have somebody that you can share the woods with and have a high level of respect for. You operate a lot like I do where you don't really want help. Yeah. You know, you, you got to do it on your own, but you know, I feel like sharing a picture with you and saying, Hey, there, this buck, you know, you're already hunting the area and this buck's living in there. You know, I'm not, I'm done hunting for the year. Like you're more than welcome to go kill him. You know, it's, I'd rather see you get him, you know, as much work as you put in and effort, I'd rather see you get him than just about anybody. So, and I feel the exact same way you earned it. You deserve, I I will say it till my last day in the woods down here that there's anybody that deserves to have a chance at a giant. It's the guy that puts the most work in and you undoubtedly put more work into this thing than anybody I know, including myself. And I know that you don't like to admit that. I remember I was at 500 miles last year and I mean, I was beating myself into the ground and I knew the EHD thing was starting to hit and I was kind of in panic mode. And when I was at five, you were at 800, you were putting the miles in hard and it worked out for you. I mean, you found a bunch of giant deer last year. Yeah. So last season was a little different for me because I really started to expand uh, more my range more in areas I was hunting. So it was just out of necessity that I had to had to put in so many miles to scout these new areas. And some of them were areas that I've dabbled in a little bit, but I've never really got into detail with them. And I really wanted to go in and uh, try to figure them out because I knew, knew the types of bucks that uh, lived there. So yeah, it was just basically a necessity. I had to put in the put in the miles to, uh, you know, have a chance to figure things out here and uh, and it's some new territory for me. The one thing that I take away from your mentality, which I really respect, is in your own head you've never done enough. You know, you're always hungry and you're always you always feel behind. And I feel the same way a lot. Like I just I can't put enough work in. I always feel like. I'm just not gonna, like, if I don't give it absolutely everything I have, 
then I really don't deserve it, to be honest with you. <laughs> My basketball coach in school told me us told me a quote one time and I'm sure it's pretty common, but he said there's nothing easy in life worth having. And that's a hundred percent true statement right there. I mean, if you didn't earn it then uh it's not worth its weight to me. I completely agree. And you know, the thing about the hills is you can have a banner year and go out day one and kill a giant and you think you got it all figured out and then next year they give you a good taste of humble pie. These hills have a way about them that they, they'll bring you down. You can be on cloud nine and uh, a day later in these hills, you'll be down to earth. And like I told you, uh, they keep me humble and they bring me down to earth. And one day they're probably going to put me in it. I completely relate to that. And you know what? I, I think that that's okay at the end of the day. Like that's, yeah. I love this more than anything. I know that you feel the same way. And a lot of the listeners feel the exact same way. So I think that they'll take a lot away from this show today. So, so let's get right into it, man. I, I want to get into, you know, obviously now at this point, you are extremely dedicated to this and it's just who you are. It's what you do. Like when I think of Cody, I think of going out and scouting your butt off and finding some giant deer and trying to chase them down. So how'd you get into hunting? Like how did, you know, how did you start this whole journey? Yeah, I was introduced to hunting a pretty typical way. My, my dad you know, he liked to hunt a lot and he always kept me involved. And then my grand grandfather on my uh, mom's side of the family was a big outdoorsman. And, you know, between them two, they always had me out in the woods as a, as a kid growing up and, you know, from hunting rabbits and pheasants and squirrels and, you know, hunting morel mushrooms. And, you know, my grandpa was a big fisherman. So all summer long, if I was out of school, he would have me wading the creek smallmouth fishing so it was just constant exposure to it and then you know about 10 years old i was able to go deer hunting for the first time and uh, i killed a deer opening day of shotgun season uh the following year i killed my first buck a, you know a really nice first buck and then after that it was just i got a crossbow my dad bought me a climber and you know he sent me out on my own basically and you know, we've talked about it before. I was, you know, mobile hunting before mobile hunting was a thing. Just, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I was walking through the woods, setting up on, setting up on sign rubs and scrapes and that sort of thing and train features, you know, intersections, trail intersections and that, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, I just really got addicted to it. And I'm, I kind of have a, an obsessive personality, I guess you could say whenever I, uh, find something I like to do. Uh, and basically all, everything I've ever liked to do is hunt. So, and not just deer, you know, I, I like to turkey hunt and I've been elk hunting and, you know, when I get into something like that, I, I put everything into it. I, I research, do as much research as possible, reading and, uh, articles and that sort of thing. And I'm just really trying to understand how to get good at it. So, but whitetails are, are my number one love, and uh, that's what I put about 90% of my effort into these days. I totally relate to that. I completely understand it. And so it sounds like, you know, throughout the years, you've just been eaten up with it, and you've done uh, your studying, and then you go out and you actually put that to use with boots on the ground, and you kind of build up from sitting travel routes to observing deer over there, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go that way. And then you go over there, and then you see something else. and so you've just built up that hunting style based off of 
actual like real world data of you just yeah, hunting. And I feel like I'm a super instinctual type hunter. Like sometimes I'll, I'll look at things and I can't really explain it, but I, I just know it's good, you know? And after, you know, if I scout around there a little bit, I can start to break it down and figure out why it's good. But yeah, I'll, sometimes I just walk in the area and I just, it's just an instinct that takes over a gut feeling, I guess you could say that like this, there's something about this area that that's going to have a giant. And has that built up over time where like, like maybe for me, I've always felt instinctual. Like I always, as a kid, even I would walk into a spot and I'd be like, this is where I'm going to kill, but it wouldn't happen back then. Right. Right. And so like. I feel like I've always had that instinct, but it was wrong for a long time. And now, like now I'm at the point where like, okay, maybe it's right every once in a while. Did you experience the same thing? Yeah. And I think it's almost, it's almost subconscious. I think, I think it's just from repetitive experiences, seeing things, you know, over and over again, your instincts definitely get better as you, as you get older. I completely agree with that. So, so let's get right into it. You know, the thing that really stands out to me is we've spoken on it a little bit, but you just have a knack for finding giant deer. We hunt a lot of the same areas. We're kind of always dancing around each other, if you will, with cameras and everything else. And it seemed like when I struggled the most, you were having a lot of success finding really big, mature, old bucks. And I build up this huge amount of respect watching you do what you did last fall when I was struggling. We, you know, we talked back and forth and it was just, you were getting on them, man. So I, I want to get into your tactics for just getting on big deer more than anything else for how you chase a public land giant buck. And I want to start out just by dissecting maps. Like I want to know, you know, what are you looking for when you first look at a map and we'll go from there. Yeah. So the first thing I do when I'm looking at a public uh, hunting area is uh, locate all the access points. I want to see a lot of the, um, where a lot of the human activities coming from, you know, hunting, hiking, horseback riding, ATVs, whatever it is. I just want to see where that human access is coming from and how that might affect uh, bedding opportunities. And so as far as bedding opportunities around human intrusion, yeah, I feel like there's multiple options, but the two obvious ones are you either have to go deeper than everybody or you have to find the overlooked spots. Do you have a preference to one of those styles or do you find yourself kind of all over the map with that? I'm a little bit all over the place. Catch a lot of slack from me wanting to to push in as far as possible, I guess. People give me a hard time about it. Like, you don't have to do that to kill big bucks. I'm like, I know, but I want to. Yeah. I think it's just like me looking for solitude i think that's what it is and uh so i yeah i will walk you know two and a half miles bushwhacking my way back into an area if i have to and people think i'm nuts but i love to do it i i feel the exact same way and it is almost like uh it's almost sometimes more of finding solitude than it is finding the deer back (laughs) there but it's it just so happens to be that big deer love solitude as well and so it kind of works out hand in hand so, okay. So, so we, we discussed hunter intrusion a little bit and kind of what you look for there. Let's get into like specific terrain features. And I think that we defer here a little bit, you know, I'm looking for hub systems, but I think I have a different approach. So when you're looking for specific features, what are you looking for? I'm definitely targeting these hub systems, just like you are. I like hub systems with diversity in them, obviously, but I'm looking for ones that are 
usually uh, tough to access. Uh, crawl, you, you know, you have to cross a, a good-sized creek or a swamp or uh, climb a ridge to get over to it. Um, so I'm looking for any of those hub systems that might deter another hunter from getting to him. I really like the hub systems with that are open bottom, wide open bottoms. I feel like I can break down sign and find sign easier in those, get a better idea of direction of travel and that sort of thing. And so we defer there a little bit. And I I like that approach a lot. I've always struggled in the wider bottom hubs. And I saw this out of state this year in Illinois as well, where I got out in an area and just like when I get in a wide bottom hub, it's hard for me to like find the exact kill spot that I want to have. You know, you might have like four different trails come off a ridge or you might have a bunch of trails down the bottom or you might have a half dozen scrapes. And so like it's very hard for me to look at that and say, okay, I can kill the deer here. So I find myself stick like sticking to the really like tight hubs and the steep hubs. So I just kind of want to pick your brain on what kind of things sign-wise are you looking for to determine where you need to be in a wide bottom and hub. In a wide bottom, there's usually a lot of sign left in that bottom. Walking back, I usually start at the mouth of the hub and start reading sign going towards the back. You know, where the sign starts to pick up, you can kind of gauge which points or bowls the bucks are coming from. And it just makes it easier to, for me anyhow, to locate, you know, the exact bedding. A lot of times in those big wide bottoms, you'll have uh, scrapes coming all the way out of them. And you might follow that all the way, you know, a quarter of the way back the hub. Or you might follow it all the way back to the back of the hub. And then you're going to find the scrape. I guess you would call it a thermal hub scrape. And those are the scrapes I'm kind of targeting, especially for, uh, to hang cameras on and inventory and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've, I kind of think, you know, where that thermal hub scrape is, if you follow a scrape line back to it, you know, that buck is bedded close to that, whatever point that hub scrape's coming off of. Yep. So if you find that, you know, you might find that big, uh, thermal hub scrape a quarter of the way back into that hub system. So, you know, the Bucks probably bedded farther out in that hub. That makes so, so to speak. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. So, so you find that scrape, the hub scrape. Are you laying a camera down on that pretty much immediately? Yeah. Um. Of some of those wide bottoms, I found I have found multiple community scrapes where they have just multiple licking branches. And I think what it is is maybe you know different bucks bedding on po- different points. And then as they come out, they're kind of all hitting each other scrapes, mm-hmm. so to speak. So it's kind of a guessing game, like which one, if you find multiple ones, you know, I'm not afraid to hang three or four cameras in one bottom in a hub system. So that brings up a great question. And I honestly, I haven't done this very much. Like normally I try to find the specific hub scrape and I just, I'm like, this is the one and I put a camera on it. So when you're running a camera on three or four different hub scrapes, if you will, in a hub, are you getting different deer on different cameras on different nights? Like, like for instance, on a Tuesday, you have this buck hit this one, and on a Thursday, he hits a totally different one but doesn't hit the one he was on on Tuesday. Yeah, that seems to happen <laughs> quite a bit, honestly, and I'd really have to go back and look at some data, but I think maybe, as you know, a lot of the bedding in hill country is wind-based, so 
you know, where they end up based off the wind might determine where which scrape they're going to as well. And that makes a lot of sense. So you could almost take like take all your trail camera data and lay it all out and say, hey, on a on a west wind, he hit this scrape more often, and on a south wind, he hit this scrape more often, and then you could kind of target that deer based on that data. Right. Yeah. And get a get a direction, you know, of where he's coming from based off of the wind direction. And then I also get a lot of morning pictures on those scrapes, early morning pictures going back to bed. Okay. I, I see them hitting them a lot. Maybe just say, you know, leaving sign there for another buck saying, hey, I'm up, I'm already up in here, like go somewhere else, that sort of thing. So I get a lot of morning, early morning pictures of bucks on them scrapes coming back into bed. And so when you're going into one of these areas, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and then we're going to circle back because I've got a train of thought here. When you're going into one of those areas and on, on the day that you want to hunt it, are you checking those cameras if possible? to determine which one you think he's up on, or are you just using the data that you already have based on the wind and taking a shot? If it's convenient, I'm checking them for sure. And sometimes that's a, it can really mess with your mind. I hate to hunt cameras per se, but you check that camera and that buck hasn't hit that scrape. Like you have to still be confident that he's there. Cause I'm not saying they, they hit the scrape every day. So if you walk in there, you know, and you got pictures of a buck that you're hunting and he hit the scrape three days ago, but he hasn't hit it for three days. You just have to keep that confidence that, you know, that buck is, is going to be there and tonight he's going to hit that scrape again. That makes a lot of sense. And to be honest with you, like I'm sitting here and my, my brain is spinning a million miles an hour because I, I think you just cracked something that was probably really obvious to you. But to me, it's something that's been holding me back in those wider hubs is when I go into a wide hub and I throw one camera on one scrape, I'm probably missing 75% of the scrape opportunities in that hub because I'm not running enough cameras in them. So in a narrow hub, it's easy to run it on the one scrape because it's all you have. And it's very obvious, but in a wider hub, maybe I need to take a step back and say, I need to take more cameras in those bottoms and collect more data off of multiple scrapes for multiple bedding areas and then try to target it like that. It just opens up a whole new like I've got a brand new style I'm going to try this right. this summer when I'm scouting now. Yeah. So that that cracked something really good and for I, me. And some, you know, sometimes in them wide hubs I I find cameras and I think it's just because they're they're pretty easy to navigate and people get in them and uh they find the scrapes too cuz they're easy to find and you know, sometimes you deal with that, but I think a lot of guys are hunting you know directly in the bottom from from what I've found and you know, observation and that sort of thing. A lot of guys, are, you know, are sitting those scrapes in the bottom of the hub, and I think most of the time your daylight activity is going to be up on the ridges, on the sides of the ridges, and that sort of thing. So you kind of got to push up up the hill a little bit to have your opportunity, I believe. And I agree with that. I think that there is one, and this is a personal opinion. I think that there's one thing that could change that, and it would be like the first couple of days of season. I think you might be able to get away with the bottom if nobody's been in there. Like say that you're the first guy, right? But but I agree with you. As soon as there's any pressure introduced into that system, I feel like I find myself pushing up onto those ridges more and more often, which is more difficult because now instead of having that focal point, now you're like, hey, there's four different ridges that he could be bedded on. If I'm not dialed and I go up the wrong one and he comes down the other one, well, he just he busted me. Right. And that's just that's just part of the game, man. It's 
you know, you take chances and you win some, you lose some. I I love it. I absolutely agree with that. But yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because something what, that I've struggled with a lot. So the next thing I want to get into is you're in the, you're in a hub system, right? And I want to hear your thoughts on how you change your approach if you're familiar with that area. Like let's say that you've scouted and hunted a hub system for five years versus a brand new one. And let's start right at the beginning of your process. So it's summertime, you're going to go scout. How do you scout a new area differently than an area that you've spent a lot of time in? My strategy doesn't change a whole lot. You know, in areas that I've been in before, I, I think I have most of the intel I need as far as where bucks like to bed and that sort of thing. And I think in areas that I'm more familiar with, like I might just walk in there one time during shed season and kind of scout around and look for sheds and try to find survivors and that sort of thing. But I think in those areas, I'm more focused on scouting the weeks leading up to season and uh, finding which which food sources are going to be productive that season. So, you know, I tend to run my cameras in the same spots year after year in those areas. And, you know, I just kind of adjust based off of changing food sources. So that ma- that makes a lot of sense to me. And I do something very similar where like I get intimate with an area. And if I mess up on a deer in there, I'll have a different approach and I'll really dive in and attack it. But if it's an area that I just feel like I'm waiting for the right deer to pop back up again, I'll just go in there and throw a camera on like the scrape I know of. And I'm, I'm assuming that you find like all the food sources in your spring scouting. So you'll find like your white oak flats and your red oak flats. And so you're going in the weeks leading up to season and validating which food sources are actually active that year. It's something I kind of learned from, from you, honestly, because there's been so many times I went into areas that, uh, I thought I knew and, you know, I'd be hunting, but there's no bucks there. And then I'd go, you know, I'd go check a camera on another white or a white oak flat and boom, five bucks on that white oak flat all day long. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know it all. You gotta, you know, you gotta come out here and figure, find it out. So you don't know what you think, you know? Uh, so yeah, get in here weeks leading up to season, find where the acorns are going to be and, a lot, yeah, a lot of these bedding areas have acorn or white oaks coming out and that sort of thing. But if those oaks ain't, aren't dropping, um, those bucks aren't going to be there. So, and I found them, you know, as far as half, three quarter mile away on a different oak flat. So that's something I really emphasize, uh, the last few years is scouting leading up to season and finding the hot food source. And this is a question I get a lot. I want to hear your opinion on it. When you're scouting these food sources and you're checking your cameras before season, how careful are you about being too close to the bedding or bumping deer that time of year? Are you, are you a get in and get out kind of guy? Are you, what are you trying to verify when you're in there a couple of weeks out of season? How intrusive are you? I would say that I'm very intrusive. I, I don't mind busting the deer out. They haven't had any pressure on them for months at that point, and you know they're going to come right back. I feel like uh, maybe not, maybe not all the time, but uh, I'd say ninety percent of the time they'll be right back in there within a couple days. So yeah, as long as that food source is hot, and you know, as you know, in in these big wood settings, like food is a huge thing because it's you know it's not as abundant as the more agricultural areas so if you find uh 
a white oak flat and there's bucks there, they're going to stay there until them white oaks are gone. Yeah. I think that, you know, you always like some of these areas that we hunt and that we talk about are, are just big woods. They don't have ag near pie. And we talk about nomadic deer quite a bit. And I hear a lot of talk about nomadic deer on podcasts. And I personally think the number one factor in determining what a nomadic deer is doing is those switching food sources because the acorns are so situational and they're so short-lived in some of these areas like you know you'll get a white oak flat that could drop and be gone before season even opens right and then you'll get one that is that times up perfectly with the first five days of season you'll get one that's two weeks late you'll get some reds that dump you know sporadically throughout the fall your chestnut oaks you don't necessarily know when they're going to dump so I just feel like dialing food sources in the big woods in is one of the most overlooked things. And it's something that I know that I can spend a ton of time working on. And I, I don't know if there's even a pattern to be had because we talk about the three and five year yeah. pattern of these acorns. And right. I personally, I haven't seen that down here yet, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've never noticed any sort of pattern with the oaks, you know, and it's kind of overwhelming in a lot of these areas. Oaks are everywhere. You know, I'm really trying to focus on the ones that are, I guess you would say, easiest access from bedding. But yeah, as far as a pattern goes, I have no idea about any sort of acorn drop pattern. I just know that, you know, some years you, you're like walking around on roller skates and like this past year, you know, it was tough just to find a green acorn laying on the ground. It, it really wasn't. It was almost like the past, for me, it was kind of the past two years. And I got into good whites two years ago and that's where I killed my deer on the first couple of days, but it, when I lost that oak flat that I killed my deer on, like I couldn't, I couldn't locate a good buck and they know where the food sources are at. And so, so I guess the thing I'm curious about, and you know, it's something that I think we can both look into more and kind of work on throughout the years is I don't, I, like you said, I don't think that there's necessarily a pattern, like a three or five year pattern. And I could be completely wrong, but like, I wonder if a red oak flat gets hot, if, the adjacent red oak flat would be hot as well. Like if they come in the same time in let's say 2015, I wonder if those two oak flats will be hot in like 2020 and then 2024 together. Or or is that one good one? Or are they both good one year and then one's good the next year and the other one's not? And right. Yeah. And see, I don't. I guess I don't really understand it because as I'm sitting there looking at all these oak trees in the woods, you know, they're all different age groups. Of yeah. trees. So one tree's not dropping, you would think maybe in one of the other trees would be. So you think every year it would be consistent that they would be dropping in an area just because they're, you know, they're not all the exact same age structure of oaks. So when an area is dry, it's just dry and yeah. there's nothing dropping. So I, I completely agree. So are you, with these food sources shifting around and you're going in, you're trying to establish if they're hot or not on the fly? Say that you go into an area that you know is a very good bedding area and it's got a white oak flat 100 yards from it and that white oak flat's dead. Are you writing off that bedding area and saying they're shifting? Like, let's say they, you know, the next food source is three quarters of a mile away. Do you think they're bedding closer to that other food source or are they staying in the same bedding area and just traveling that far or is that situational? I think it's really situational and I think it has to do with the bedding opportunity closer to the food source. If if they have good bedding opportunity closer to the food source that they feel secure in, they're going to bed closer to the food source. But if they only have one bedding area and they got to walk three quarters of a mile to get to those oaks, then they're probably going to stay in that bedding area. 
Yeah. And so it's, it's really just a matter of going and doing your due diligence and scouting out like every bedding area and every food source in close relation to that bedding area. Right. Yeah. And I, I scout as many beds as I possibly can. I know I'm, I know I miss some, I probably miss a lot, honestly, but you know, I mark every, every bed I find and, uh, I try to determine whether it's bucks or does and you know, there's some things that you can uh, key on there to kind of help you figure that out. But I mark all bedding, you know, and a lot of times I'll just shift around based off food sources to those different bedding areas. I, I have a very similar strategy there. Next thing I want to get into is pursuing a specific deer versus uh, just a mature deer in the big woods and what the differences are. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've done both at some point and I kind of feel like you're leaning more towards the specific deer at this point in your, your definitely, hunting career. Definitely. So what's changed for you chasing a specific deer as opposed to just chasing good deer? I can't speak a whole lot on chasing a specific deer because I've never dedicated my entire season to doing it. You know, here in the big woods, I feel like it's a pretty tall task. I don't know many people that do it other than yourself. I think it just comes down to be being really efficient with your hunting. Like you said, a lot of these bucks are really nomadic and I think they have really big home ranges and they have a lot of bedding opportunity and food sources are constantly shifting. So it's really kind of hard to pin one down, you know, in one area. And, you know, that's why we're out scouting to find that perfect spot where all the stars align and we can do that. But, um, I haven't been that efficient up to this point to target one deer. That's something I'm going to definitely transition more towards doing. I've been chasing multiple bucks for several years, and I just feel like, you know, I've, these last couple of years I've really struggled, and I feel like always one step behind them because I'm bouncing the, over here, and then I'm ba- back over here, and, like, you know, they were here two days ago. and this buck was here three days ago. And so like, I'm, I keep missing him. So I just need to, I really need to hone in on one deer and try to follow him around and, uh, and get him pegged and try to kill him. So that's, that's kind of what I'm going to do this season. I don't have that deer picked out yet, but I'm going to spend more time focusing on one particular buck this season for sure. I'm really excited to see how that chase goes for you. So let's, let's jump ahead a little bit here. Let's say that Right now it's it's May, but let's jump ahead to September. You go pull a card, one of your cameras, and you've got that giant sitting there on the card. What's your next step? Yeah, so kind of the first thing I'll I'm gonna do is kind of just take a a step back, not dive in right away. After I uh, do that, I'm gonna go in and confirm what I think he's doing is right or wrong, and I'm probably not going. You know, if we're talking about you know, hunting the next day or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to loop around the area and start to find sign coming, you know, if he's bedded in a hub system, I'm going to start to kind of keep my distance maybe before I think he's bedded and I'm going to start to um, try to find sign coming out of that hub system. You know, scrapes are, are good. Uh, I like to find big rubs. I think that, you know, I've heard a lot of, a lot of talk about how rubs don't, don't mean a whole lot to people and you know a four point can rip up an eight inch diameter tree but i it's not something that i've really seen 90 percent of the time i find big rubs i find big bucks if i can locate some big fresh rubs in that area then i know he's coming through there and uh you know that's going to help me determine his direction of travel and 
what food source he might be uh, utilizing and that sort of thing. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so you know that he's like going to be in that system. You got a picture of him on the scrape and really for you, you're, I like that approach of circling around that system and just trying to validate where he's going, but also trying to just like cross off areas off the list. And I've done that before, uh, 2020, I was on a really big tier, a, a giant typical. I've talked about him on podcasts before. And I just was always like a step behind him. Like he was even in that system with me like four or five times. Like I was, a, I was below him in his bed and he would always just find a way to flank me and, and get around me somehow. And so the thing that I started doing on that deer was like, I would circle that entire hub system and just like cross other areas off the list. I'd go to every red oak flat that I knew of, you know, late October and okay, these, none of these are hot right now. So he's not coming this way. Like, where's he going? And I never did get on him, but I feel like that might've been the right tactic was to just like cross off, cross off, cross off before you just take like a random shot at him. And then when you finally have the confidence you need, just strike. Right. You know, when I'm in there scouting, I'm really trying to avoid where I think I might kill him. Trying to push in as close as possible to these deer to get an opportunity at him in uh, legal shooting time. So. I'm trying to avoid uh, that kill tree when I'm scouting, and I'm just trying to, you know, look for exit sign in that hub. That's a really important thing, and that's something that I don't focus on enough, too, is like I, I, I get, you know, I get a picture of a giant, my heart starts beating fast, and I start talking fast, and I get excited, and I'm yeah. all ramped up, and I'm just like running into that system, validating what I need, and then I take a shot, and, you know, it might work, it probably won't work. Um, I mean, yeah. you've been, you've been super successful, so I, but I, I think that's going to come and go. Like, that's not going to be like a consistent thing if I continue to just like overly intrude. And so there's got to be a balance. And I think that the balance is exactly what you're talking about. It's kind of dabbling around the other areas around that deer without intruding on the one spot you think he's going to be. And I, th there's a lot of things to be said about that. You could almost be like stacking that area a little bit, right? You know, he smells boot tracks here. He smells boot tracks here. He's like, all right, I got a safe zone, but open in day, you get the southwest wind you need for that bedding area. And you're like, well, your safe zone's not safe anymore. I'm sitting down there. Right. And, you know, it doesn't always work out perfectly. Sometimes you do got to be more intrusive to find find that intel you need. And uh, I'm not afraid to do that, but I like to uh, kind of work my way in from the outside in and uh, see if I can't find sign coming out. But if I have to dive in and get real intrusive to find that sign, then that's what I'll do. Yeah, I like that a lot. So I think that that's a really good approach. I think you're going to find the giant that you're looking for this year, and you're you're going to be able to chase that deer. So coming into this season, we've got a ton of scouting to do. We've got a ton of cameras to put out. I know you and I are going to be out there all the time. What are you looking forward to most this season, and what are your goals for yourself? What I'm looking forward to most this season is. Uh, is some of the areas I scouted this winter, I guess you would say, February, some of the areas I scouted that I have not really spent any time in, I'm looking, really looking forward to seeing what those areas produce. Um, you know, it's no secret that, you know, EHD was a, was pretty hard on us this season in most of our areas we hunt. And, uh, I haven't done a whole lot of scouting in, uh, my typical areas just because there's really nothing to find. So, you know, you put in 10, 12, 15 miles and 
you're not, you know, you barely turn up any sign. It's, you know, it's time to move on. I've gotten to some really good, what I think are going to be really good pockets of deer for this season. And, uh, my goal is I'm kind of looking in that 150 plus range with my bow. That's my goal this year. Um, I'm pretty confident I'm going to find a deer bigger than that to hunt. I'm usually good for one Boone and Crockett a season somewhere. So, but just for now, until I figure out what I'm going to be hunting, like a 150 plus inch deer with my bow, that's my goal. That's a, that's a great goal. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that we both saw the effects of EHD last year and the areas that we hunt are so similar. We're always right around each other, like we've spoken about. And it was definitely hit hard. And I mean, like in season, I put in hundreds of miles and I just, I could not turn up a decent deer for 90% of season. And it was it, like, there was young deer everywhere that were making a little bit of sign, but you'd put a camera up and it's a two-year-old and you're like, right. that's, I'm not going after that deer. And so. And we had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of nice, you know, two and three-year-old bucks on camera this season. I wouldn't say a lot, but we had, we did have several nice two and three-year-old bucks. So, you know, some of those areas I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely going to have cameras back in. I know, I know there's one there that you're pretty excited about. And, uh, yeah, there's a couple there, you know, if that big 10 still alive, I'd be excited about him as well. So I'm definitely going to be back in those areas, but I just didn't feel like it was a good use of my time to be scouting there this winter when there was not really any signs. So it's going to be more kind of starting from scratch and a lot more in-season scouting in that area. But yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see some, see some velvet racks. I see some guys on, on uh, Instagram posting pictures of antlers starting to grow and stuff. And I'm like, man, it's, it's time. I got to get some cameras out and, uh, and get the ball rolling here. Cause I'm a little behind this season than, than most seasons, but I feel like a lot of the scouting I've done has been really, uh, quality scouting and, uh, you know, I really tried to slow down and pick things apart a little better this season. Yeah. I, I think you're going to have a lot of success, man. I know you're going to work as hard as you can. So I'm excited to see what you turn up this year. I think we both have a lot of work to put in and I'm sure we'll be talking on a daily basis about how to get some good bucks in the ground. So Cody, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Instagram. I have a private account, and it's really my only social media platform. I have Facebook, but I, I'm never, I, I think I have one friend on Facebook. <laughs> but yeah, I'm on Instagram. I have a private account, so you got to request to follow me. But it's Cody underscore Schleich. It's S-C-H-L-E-I-C-H, so I, that gets mispronounced. Yep, all well, the time, my whole life. Actually, I was guilty of that for a while, to be honest with you. I had tried to figure out how to say your last name, but I think I figured it out. So, uh, so yeah, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think that there's a lot of takeaways from the show. I know for myself, and I think that some of the listeners will be able to take quite a bit away. So good luck this season, and thanks for coming on the show, man. Awesome, Jake. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time. Yeah.